Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon. And I hope everyone is having a splendid Friday. This is Mr. C with the C Report, brought to you by Q and A Holes Podcast. Be sure to visit us at QandAholespodcast.com. And are you ready for the weekend news? Because here it comes. All right. How is everyone doing again tonight? I hope you're having a wonderful Friday heading into the weekend. And uh, here's some of the headlines that we have going on. Uh, We'll begin the evening with uh, some Trump talk. Now, um, uh, some of you people will hear this article and some of you people will think, well, what's the point? And some of you people will want to know about it. Um, I, I, we'll, 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 we'll touch on both parts of it. Now, how about I just read the headline, right? This is from Newsmax. Dun, 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 Newsmax.com. All right. So, uh, yeah, well, I am already raising my eyebrow to Newsmax, so they better stay put and behave. Article, MAGA Patriot Party will primary Republicans who backed impeachment. Now, first of all, Congratulations to Marissa Herman for the great, uh, you know, literary effects that she has in her her uh, her title. It's perfectly punctuated, um, you know, for uh, for someone like me. MAGA Patriot Party will primary Republican. Say that five times fast, Marissa Herman. The article states a newly formed MAGA Patriot Party intends to target Republicans who voted to impeach former President Donald Trump, the Epic Times reports. Okay, Newsmax and the Epic Times. Well, that's stating the obvious. Now, we had heard through the grapevine, the gossip around the hot water cooler was that Trump was starting his own political party and i think everyone saw a whole bunch of uh doodads and hoo-hahs about that um but did trump ever actually start this political party well as we will find out in this article or i could just tell you now no he didn't so what and or who is the maga patriot party well this is where we get to that fork of the road where we say, well, this doesn't matter. And this is where we get to that fork in the road and we say, hey, let's mull this over for just a sec. So let's let's just mull this over for just a sec and create a separate timeline at this moment. The MAGA Patriot Party was started by some dude who actually has the same name of some dude that I know from when I was a young we lad and um the maga patriot party was actually also um it was actually also incorporated in san antonio so i thought hey this is just too much of a coincidence the party's founder's name is jim davis but uh this guy indeed is not from san antonio he works in venice in local government um the article by marissa herman goes on to say 
Um, and obviously, yes, if you have any MAGA Patriot Party, they're going to go after the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a dead on arrival right there. You know, and, and maybe they could go after the lobbyists that, you know, Biden has now allowed back into the uh, corporate legalese of America. And uh, maybe they could fight the political action committees that are made up of third generation pedophiles and robber barons, you know, stuff like that. You know, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe they're part of some kind of all-American mafia that no one knows about these uh, Republican rhinos and their political action committees and everything else that these people do uh, to make sure that their way of life is preserved throughout the ages Anyways, getting back to the article. (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, there's not too much more I want to say about it. I mean, Davis said the group, the article says, Davis said the group was not given a warm reception from the Trump team. So that should go to tell you something, because I think if Jim Davis planned to run this as an actual political party and have political campaigns, which they want to do, according to the article, they um, have offices set up in Florida. Uh, They have offices set up in Nebraska, and I believe one of these individuals is from Ohio who got the ball ball rolling, Uh, and they also have offices here in Texas and in Colorado, and they're planning to run in elections with states that have that pro-MAGA, pro-Trump, you know, thing, which I think, hey, that's cool, but what if these guys are just there to split the vote. They came out early on when they heard Trump was running, you know, Trump was running uh, his own campaign. What if they're just being created to infiltrate, you know, uh, and, and, and split the MAGA vote, you know? I mean, these guys are starting early on. Now, that is speculation. I apologize. I said... I would not get into speculation here on the show, but you know, these are things that you just want to keep an eye out for the people that believe that uh, if we, uh, you know, keep moving at the same pace that we're moving at right now, that we'll have a 2022 election um, and, and even much less so for the people who think that if we keep moving at the same pace we're moving at, we're going to have a 2024 election. Like, there will be no 2020 anything election moving forward that you would rightfully be able to call an election much less past a beauty pageant that we have to make Americans feel important about themselves. Because that's exactly what the 2022 and the 2024 election is going to be like if we don't do something about what is transpiring in our government right now while President Trump and his administration has given us the golden tickets to get into the fudge packing factory and expose these liberals and Democrats and corporation heads and elites and globalists, multifinancial internationalists expose them for what they're doing to our country and to our children now, getting back to the article, um, you know, I guess we can go back up the fork in the road now because this this kind of thing won't matter. Now, if, if, if we get everything figured out the way we need to get it figured out and we can actually have an election that means something and, uh, you know, and that's not like it's not impossible, it's still very possible at this point. 
they can have their MAGA Patriot Party, but I think they would be better off having it as a political action committee of sorts, uh, rather than um, actually being its own party. If they want to support Trump, I think they would do best by doing it that way. Um, unless Trump directly supported and endorsed them as the official Trump party, should Trump uh, choose to run in a future election, if it's worth it. But I mean, honestly, I think that uh, he has the ability to do that now. So we have we have this whole I mean, because I believe he's still the president after all. He's still he is still the legitimate president of the United States of America. We all saw the same coup on television we all are not crazy even though that's what some people would have us think even though that's how marissa herman would have me feel when she writes something like maga patriot party will primary republicans oh my goodness but let me tell you why that that this is just something if they they want to move forward this with this whole impeachment thing because now we have what all of this evidence that will be what ready to come forward whenever they impeach Trump and, and they try and move forward with it. But they'll be able to show that it came from him at all angles. And it's not just happenstance that when it got down to it, we had media, we had business, we had politicians, we had states, we had you know, governments that were, I mean, and by governments, I mean, like, you know, the states of the, of this union, you know, state governments all turning on Trump, you know, um, even, even people who were with him, like, what's up with that? Do you think that's happenstance? Do you think it's just a coincidence? Well, let me tell you why it's just a coincidence that everyone, even those who supposedly pulled for Trump, you know, suddenly turned on him and we, the American public, were able to believe it as a narrative that, oh, well, that's just how it goes. That's how the story's written. That's what it's all about. When nobody likes what you do and nobody likes who you are, people can turn on you easily and people can just turn the other cheek because they didn't like you. And guess where that narrative came from? That narrative came from... uh, all of the media that narrative came from the movies that narrative came from the shows that narrative came from the news that movie came from the theater that narrative came from the comedians that narrative came from um what uh late night talk show comedian satire uh programs that were being taken serious as news you know what they say Anyone who wants to go to an award show for comedians, well, they are just a poser, basically. I mean, because who takes comedy seriously like that, right? Anyways, so I mean, same same thing, same thing, same thing with these these uh, late night talk shows. Like, I can never stand them. Anyways, I mean, at least all the poli- I mean, everything was political. Everything is political. There's an element of propaganda in everything, and I mean. If, if that's going to be the case, then at least don't censor the anti-narrative. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to go ahead and have all of your superstars propagate the same political narrative and give the same political message in all of your media, if you all want to drink from the same, you know, uh, stream of blood, if you all want to dine at the same table as the family of cannibals, go ahead and do so. But... 
then at least let the counter narrative, the antithesis to your inbreeding, have a chance also. No, we can't do that. We have to censor you. Okay, I'm getting off the target here. The whole point of this is that... The whole point of this is that everyone and everything came at Trump from every angle. There was a conspiracy here. And the next article that I'm going to share with you guys today was brought to my attention by ToriSays.com. Um, this was published in The Times. And I thought, ooh, this is kind of interesting. Let's see what it has to say. Um, uh, Molly Ball... <laughs> Molly Ball wrote this article and oh god I would love Molly Ball at times.com like Molly Ball <laughs> the title of the article is The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign that Saved the 2020 Election Ooh I was like this sounds like a fun article so this way when they go to trial and they try and take Trump into impeachment they can be like look there was another conspiracy going on here, and let's see what this had to do with. Because uh, we already had this whole, like, task force. I think, isn't that what isn't that what President Select Biden called it? We have the most diverse task force of election engineers. I mean, whoops. God, I don't think he, I don't think he even used a word as eloquent as engineers in a sentence like that, because... Uh, I think it was like theft or like, you know, like, I don't know, like he called them, he called them something that was a kind of derogatory, but they were diverse, the most diverse crowd, the largest ever, uh, election changer meddler, uh, you know, bandicoots. So, um, anyways, here's another, here's another one. Let's see what this article has to say. Now, this article is actually quite lengthy and, um, but I just I had to share it because I have a feeling it'll probably disappear soon. But let's just see what it has to say. I'm going to read some of it here and then, um, you know, we'll reflect over it a little bit. It says the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election by Molly Ball. A weird thing happened right after the November 3rd election. Nothing. The nation was braced for chaos. Liberal groups had vowed to take to the streets, planning hundreds of protests across the country. Right-wing militias were girding for battle. In a poll before Election Day, 75% of Americans voiced concern about violence. Instead, an eerie quiet descended. As President Trump refused to concede, the response was not mass action, but crickets. When media organizations called the race for Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out instead as people thronged cities across the United States to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in Trump's ouster. A second odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result. Corporate America turned on him. 
hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policies, called on him to concede. To the president, something felt amiss. It was all very, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd, within days after the election. Maybe I should do it like in a Trump voice. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were still being counted. In a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pack was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive, racial justice protests in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. If your blood isn't boiling, you are not a red-blooded American. The handshake between business and labor was just one component of vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote but to ensuring it would be free and fair, credible, and uncorrupted. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. Though much of this activity, though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign and crossed ideological lines with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors. The scenario the shadow campaigners were desperate to stop was not a Trump victory. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all. A failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. Oh my god, okay, I have to stop. This is killing me. Okay, no, wait. We'll go just a little bit more. Their work touched every aspect of the election. 
They got states to change voting systems and laws and helped secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression laws, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. Oh my god. Oh my god, I am so pissed off. Excuse me. Okay, they successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and used data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. After election day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump Trump could not overturn the result The untold story of the election is the thousands of people of both parties who accomplished the triumph of American democracy at its very foundation, says Norm Eisen, a prominent lawyer and former Obama administration official who recruited Republicans and Democrats to the board of the Voter Protection Program. This is ridiculous. Okay, so first of all, first of all, this is the secret history of the shadow campaign. So if it's a history of a campaign, well, what do you need to be to have a history, you know what I said? Uh, what did they say? You know, if you can achieve puberty, you can achieve a past. You know, you can have your own history. Well, okay. These guys have been around for a minute then. You know, they at least, they at least passed the teen years. Now, you know, they adolescents no more. So, these people, whomever these shadow people are, they're a force of the left activists, labor, and business. So this is pretty interesting because when I was first hearing about this at the Tory Says show, like, I was like, ooh, this is ooh. I was like, I'm here I am in this corporate consuming shopping world of the grocery store doing my food shopping. And I'm listening to, you know, I'm listening to, to her, you know, talk about this. And I'm like trying to pay attention. And I'm like, this is just, okay, she's getting fired up about something here. <laughs> so here we go with this. This is, this is just insane because not only is it much bigger than it sounds, it's huge. Like, you know, did you hear all the things that they did? And then just the way this article frames it is just ridiculous. Like, it just, oh, like this, like this, this just, oh. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all. Um, A failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of American America since its founding. That just, oh, because they're trying to say that, you know, um, it's self-calamitous to be able to use uh, um, your uh, own self-governance. It's calamitous. 
to have self-governance. In other words, even this article is saying that we, the people, can't even govern ourselves. It's calamitous, this self-governing, democratic way of life. Well, guess what? If we just followed the law, and you people did too because you didn't think you were smarter than more than one-third of us, which is true, but hey, we don't hold it over them, you know, for, for them not thinking. So, you know, we don't take advantage of them. Why do you? Anyways, so... Um, okay, so that just, ugh, I was like, ugh, like, you know, good people wouldn't let that happen. Here's the problem. You're not a good person, and that's why you think that democratic self-governance is chaotic. But hello, we're a democratic republic, so check yourself, buddy. It just, it takes, what, what was that, what was that line? It takes uh, good people to do nothing for evil to prevail. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. So th- these people... These people were were doing crazy. I mean, they were. It's a huge. It's a huge, huge operation. This is a huge operation, and because you know Trump was silent after he was gone, it's because and and before he was gone, you know, like it's because they totally did not let him on the networks. That was part of the collusion of the media. Like they silenced the man. Like you don't. You won't even hear him now. You know, even though he's busy working in Mar-a-Lago. Um, they got states to change voting systems and laws like they did this. They got the states to go and change the voting systems and the voting laws. And that was a big issue that was happening during this whole election and uh, electoral process, because one of the whole reasons that they went to court, like why Texas sued why Texas sued these these five contested states was because they were voting um, and changing their voting laws when their state constitution said that only legislators could change those laws, not governors. I mean, sorry, I'm sorry, not governors, not judges, you know, not judges couldn't change those laws. City councils couldn't change those laws, you know, only you know, your state representatives could change those laws. And that would would enact, you know, like probably passing a law and doing the whole legislative process. And here they're doing this in the fly of the night because they have to save their butts because, you know, of all of the, um, of all of the fraud that was happening, you know, and that was intended to happen. And that's why they needed these things to happen. So these people did that. Um, Let's see. And that helped uh, secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. So they got money for that. Uh, They fended off voter suppression lawsuits. So, you know, they were also fighting on, you know, the legal side to keep doing what they're doing. They recruited armies of poll workers. And now what did we hear about in all the affidavits that were submitted? You know, time and time again, we heard that these people were being attacked or they were doing funny things at the poll stations. Well, these people recruited them. Um, they got millions of people to vote by mail. And I wouldn't doubt if millions of them came from their printers, you know? They successfully pressured social social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation. So in other words, this isn't just a conspiracy of people like coming together and doing something like they had a whole body of action that they were working behind also. The secret shadow campaign. You know... Like, this is, uh, this is just, it's a whole lot, you know, it's, it's, it's like labor and, and business, you know, 
like this there and this this a uh, whole article i mean i wish there was a way that we can archive this somewhere this whole article i mean i could try and put it over at the blog at q and a holes podcast.com i i mean as an aggregate i don't think that we would be in trouble for posting their article um i'm not, and i could definitely do that as well you know um we could do that get any news articles that we present um also over at the blog at qandaholespodcast.com so i was like okay so um uh, there there seems to be this opinion you know that the rico act could be involved here so i was like ah let me learn myself about the rico i know what it has to do with generally speaking but let's see what the letter of the law says so i went to united states sentencing commission.gov and it says the rico act provides for criminal prosecution of racketeering activities as part of an ongoing criminal organization as noted in RICO's legislative history, RICO is designed to address the infiltration of legitimate enterprises by organized crime and other illegal ventures. So these people are um, these people are admitting to doing all of this setup. Uh, they're talking about you know coming together to suppress this vote now so yeah that i mean what is the illegal activity here then obviously the illegal activity here is that there's a coup going on you know there's a coup going on (laughs) um you have media colluding with a specific political party to ensure that um all of the votes and everything that happened land in the favor of their political candidate and it did, because that's exactly what happened. And that the public would never see it because the media, who's owned, like, all of your media is owned by, like, six companies. So it's all, you know, consolidated. Like, you might think, oh, they couldn't, add, they couldn't own, possibly own all of this stuff. But if you think, you know, who controls what's seen on any given station, I mean, there's, like, one person at the head of that business. They can strike it down. Doesn't matter how obscure it is. All the way up the chain to the top six uh, six corporations so i guess if those people are controlled it's only six of them that's six people in a room of what maybe a thousand people there's a thousand of them there's like what how many billion people on this planet and there's like a thousand of them strategically placed to make key decisions and if you put them all in a room they wouldn't even feel like you know a football stadium that's how many of these people are doing this stuff okay anyways let me get back because i'm getting distracted okay the rico act some example provided in the legislative history include the infiltration of legitimate legitimate businesses such as laundry services retail stores restaurants and nightclubs or labor unions to commit gambling money laundering loan sharking or extortion under rico law Leaders of criminal organizations can be held liable for crimes they are order others to do to commit or assist them in committing in furtherance of ongoing criminal organizations as discussed below. Section 1962 sets forth three substantive offenses and makes it a crime to conspire to commit any of these three substantive offenses. Section 1961 provides definitions for terms used in the RICO statute and Section 1963 establishes criminal penalties including imprisonment, fines, and criminal forfeiture. So that's just a little bit about 
um, how that could possibly impact the activities that are going on here. Now, there's a lot more information. There are names dropped as well. You know, this is the kind of thing that you could take uh, to your representative. You could take to someone in your state, uh, in your state um, legislature and tell them, hey, look, this is a paper that they published in the Times where they're admitting to colluding and conspiring to suppress President Donald Trump. You know, and they try and whitewash it with this whole, oh, we were just doing it to make sure that moving forward elections are fair. But how is that fair? Just uh, they're like, wait, everything's so chaotic. We're just going to regardless of what the truth is, we're going to paint this narrative so that people still have faith in our elections. We're going to tell and lie to everyone so that people have faith in our elections. So I'm sorry that is not how we do it here in these United States of America. That is not American at all. And uh, we are going to have to get up and get moving and do something to make sure that people like that cannot paint a narrative for an entire nation with a feigned excuse like they want to preserve faith in American elections. Well, let me tell you something. You have already undermined American elections by doing such a thing because you and what you represent are not what the American people want today. In other news, following the heels of President Vice, I mean Vice President, former Mike Pence, well, the headline reads, Former Vice President Mike Pence is joining the Heritage Foundation. He and the conservative organization announced on Thursday. Okay, I mean... Who cares? I mean, he's going to just go join the good old boys over at the Heritage Foundation like Steve Forbes. I mean, I really don't have an opinion on this because I really don't like the guy. Um, I just I wonder about this Heritage Foundation. Uh, I mean, are, are any of the members emeritus, for example, on Epstein's flight logs? I mean, that's a good question. Okay, moving right along. This is Follow Up Friday. Let's follow up on some of the stories that we had up this week now. Um, here's a good one to follow up on. Now, um, in a previous episode, we kind of mentioned uh, Lloyd Austin, who has been appointed the new Secretary of Defense under President Select, the illegitimate President of the United States, Joe Biden. Um, and uh, there was some call to question about, uh, you know, uh, this financial matter in regards to uh, some possible money laundering going on with Lloyd Austin, uh, General Lloyd Austin. And uh, pardon me. 
And, um, you know, uh, I went ahead and I was like, well, let's follow up on this. Let's see what else we got going on here for Mr. General Lloyd Austin. And uh, I found a, a couple of like kind of vague articles in regard to that. But what I did find were some were two other articles, I thought. So let's go ahead and present those. I found this one at veterans veteranstoday.com. Um, and it, this was actually published in The Atlantic. Blech. And uh, that was by, uh, these are the words, and I mean, these may not even be his words because we know this man has also had problems with plagiarizing. Um, These are the supposed words, um, the selected words of or for President-Select Joe Biden. It says, why I chose Lloyd Austin as Secretary of Defense, man. No, I won't read it in, I won't read it in a Biden voice because I'm not, that good at it but it says austin's many strengths and his intimate knowledge of the department of defense and our government are uniquely matched to the challenge and crisis we face he is the person we need in this moment in his more than 40 years in the united states army austin met every challenge with extraordinary skill and profound personal decency writes biden He's a true and tested soldier and leader. I've spent countless hours with him in the field and in the White House Situation Room. I've sought his advice, seen his command, and admired his calm and his character. He is the definition of a patriot. Those are the words of... President select Joe Biden. So Joe Biden apparently knows this guy for quite some time, unless you know these truly are words that were made up and he just doesn't remember where he was and he's reading a script. But apparently, him and Lloyd Austin have been, you know, friends for quite some time. The essay continues I respect and believe in the importance of civilian control of our military. And in the importance of a strong civil military working relationship at the DOD, as does Austin. We need empowered civilians working with military leaders to shape the DOD's policies and ensure that our defense policies are accountable to the American people. Austin also knows that the Secretary of Defense has a different set of responsibilities than a general officer. And that the civil military dynamic has been under great stress these past four years. He will work tirelessly to get it back on track. What does that tell you, I ask you, about whose side General Lloyd Austin is on and what he may do with our military and what he may allow the government under Biden to get away with if... Nothing is rectified. And right now, we are counting on the military to uphold the Constitution as written and to follow its articles as a Republican. Um, I apologize. As a Republic. As a Democratic Republic to uphold the rule of law above all else, the law of the land, the Constitution. Um, The correct one. We're depending on our military to do such a thing at this time. And maybe, uh, maybe, maybe General Lloyd Austin will do that. Maybe General Lloyd Austin and his 10th Mountain Division, maybe they are 
going to follow through in that command now. Or maybe they're the only command under the entire military that uh, they got together all the people that would be willing to sell out their constitution. I don't know. Let's see. I don't know. We'll have to find out what happens. Have good faith, right? Have good faith because the people could do it now. But uh, a wrecked judiciary... And uh, we keep hearing about Scotusgate coming up. I mean, there's been situations with, uh, with, uh, with um, you know, Roberts, Supreme Court Justice Roberts. There's some situations going on with him because, you know, there's some allegations that have been happening with Mr. Roberts. And uh, no Republicans are happy with him and no conservatives are happy with him. And really, anyone who's concerned about constitutional law should not be happy with him. This other article I found from another, um, another, another venue that I would not typically seek attention from or seek to give attention to Politico bleh, was written by uh, Jacqueline Felcher. But I found it pretty interesting because this was also about Austin. Because like I said, there was this question about him having money laundering issues going on. Well, I found some bigger issues through this article. Um, Austin's ties to steel company add to concerns over industry influence. So this article was written back in December 10th, 2020. So this was before he was, um, this was before he was appointed. This was when he was still going through the nomination process. And of course he is such, he has since been approved General Lloyd Austin to be the acting secretary of defense for the United States of America. These are some of the things that were concerning to me whenever I was reading them because for some reason when you get these kinds of scenarios and combinations together it doesn't usually bode well for the people now the article says the nomination of retired general Lloyd Austin to be the next defense secretary has raised concerns over his ties to the defense industry most notably his membership on the board of Raytheon Technologies. But less well known is his membership on the board of Nucor, a steel company that's a subcontractor to at least two major defense contractors. The connection could further complicate his confirmation. Like I said, breaking back in here, um, he has already been confirmed. Back to the article. Since 2017, Austin has been a member of the board of Nucor, the largest steel and steel products producer in the U.S. The North Carolina-based company makes more than 27 million tons of steel each year from 300 facilities from across the U.S., it reported more than $22 billion in revenue in 2019. The company is a second-tier supplier to Oshkosh Defense, which is building nearly 50,000 joint light tactical vehicles for the Army to replace the Humvee, a company spokesperson confirmed. Army officials in February said they hope to recompete the contracts in 2022 to drive down the cost. 
Huntington Ingalls Industry, one of the nation's top shipyards, also counts Nucor among its suppliers. And H2 spokesperson said, or an HII spokesperson said, the company, which has shipyards in Virginia and Mississippi, builds several ships for the Navy and Coast Guard, including Gerald R. Ford class aircraft carriers and Columbia class ballistic submarines. Very interesting. So Lloyd Austin, retired general, who is now the acting state of defense under Biden, uh, sorry, secretary of defense under Biden. This man stands to make a lot of money if he goes to war. Um, He stands to make a lot of money. And, you know, I mean, for example, President Donald Trump, you know, real estate and architecture. You know, he he could I mean, he could build, I don't know, maybe buildings in his honor and maybe he could stand to make a lot of money that way if he becomes a, a dictator for, you know, 50 years. This man pulls off one war and boy, he has like 20 accounts that just jack up into the millions. Like that's uh, something to think about. So anyways, um, he needed a waiver because uh, there's this old army and uh, thing that says that, you know, hey, if you just retired from the military, you can't come and serve in public office. You could have like, you know. You could have like a certain ties in the. Uh, you could have certain stakes in the in the the wars that you wage. There's no need for that revolving door. We don't do revolving doors here in Washington D.C. Oh, do you not? So uh, Austin did receive a, a waiver for his nomination because it was uh, as he retired in 2017, three years ago. His cooling off period was just a short, as required by law. Oh, wait, before we close up on that, here's a little bit more about Austin, just so you know, just so you know about him. Austin was also a partner at Pine Island Capital, an investment firm that recently bought a series of small military contractors that was reported by the New York Times when he joined the board of the firm in July Pine Island touted that he was using experience and judgment gained during his military career to work with its company, including Inveris Training Solutions, which develops virtual and live fire training systems for the military, and Mac, Precision Machining, which makes components for the defense the, the defense industry, as well as the semiconductor and aerospace communities. Scratch that. He starts a war. He fills 30, you know, separate bank accounts and pockets for himself. The former general also runs his own private consulting firm, Austin Strategy Group LLC, based in Great Falls, Virginia. So this seems to be a problem here. If you have someone who is a uh, who's working in the, um, you know, who's who's working in the defense contract sector, you know, and doing stuff like that, um, you probably don't want to have them involved in the public sector doing, you know, business and and making, you know, things for the people uh, legislation or being, I don't know, you know, the head of an army. 
you know, uh, you probably don't want to have them. That's probably like a lobbyist, you know, you probably don't want them doing that. Like you don't want, I don't know, a lawyer serving as a prosecutor who then leaves and works at a law firm that, you know, defends politicians. I mean, there's just something, you know, funny about that whole kind of thing. And, and, you know, just to add to that point, let's talk again about why we brought up, um, you know, the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of State, because Lloyd Austin and the Mark Esper connection, uh, Mark Esper was the uh, fired Secretary of State, and that's that was the whole reason to have brought up Lloyd Austin. But Lloyd Austin, he was a lobbyist for Raytheon. So Mark Esper and Lloyd, I mean, Lloyd, Mark Esper was a lobbyist for Raytheon. So Mark Esper was a, um, a lobbyist for them. Uh, Lloyd Austin worked on their board. Mark Esper gets fired for colluding with Maria J. Stefan to commit an insurrection, a violent one, too. And probably there's no telling what he would have had the military do had he still been in charge of the military at that time. And then between, you know, you have Miller between Esper and Austin. But these two guys are cut from the same cloth. Esper and Austin are cut from the same cloth. Okay, same cloth here. So connect those dots, honey bunny. Like that is speculation at its best. But honey bunny, connect those dots. Alrighty, your next story on Flash... Uh, I was going to say Flashback Friday. Sorry, this is not Flashback Friday. This is Follow Up Friday. Following up the story about the Cuomo COVID nursing home scandal. The Cuomo COVID nursing home scandal. This article comes from Town Hall. New York State Supreme Court sides with lawsuit against Cuomo admin. On Tuesday, New York lawmakers advanced a motion to subpoena New York Health Commissioner Howard Zucker for their misleading data. And Representative Elise Stefanik, Republican of New York, has also asked the Department of Justice to immediately issue subpoenas for Zucker, Governor Cuomo, and their staff on all documentation and communications related to their nursing home policies. Policies such as Cuomo's March 25th mandate that forced nursing home facilities to accept recovering COVID patients. They and other concerned citizens got a win on Wednesday when the state Supreme Court ruled in favor of a lawsuit filled by the Empire State for Public Policy against the Cuomo administration under the Freedom of Information law to release more data. The judge also awarded attorney's fees and court costs to the Empire Center. New York State Supreme Court Justice Kimberly A. O'Connor ruled in favor of the Empire State for Public Policy and Senator Jim Tedisco's 
lawsuit on behalf of the thousands of families who lost loved ones to COVID-19 in a state-regulated nursing home against the Cuomo administration and the New York State Department of Health to publicly release data related to the deaths of nursing home residents who were transferred to the hospital last year and died from the coronavirus. The New York DOH has five business days to respond to the request. So that's a, that's a victory there on that front in regards to the killer governor, Killer Cuomo. And they're going to subpoena all their communications. It would be so funny. And I could just, I could just, be, based on the way I've seen Governor Killer Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, Killer Cuomo, I like Killer Cuomo. I think he, I think he would like Killer Cuomo too if it wasn't in such a derogatory context. But Killer Cuomo, it wouldn't surprise me if they get little memos where he writes something like, I'm the governor, just do it. And, you know, he puts like the swoosh check mark or he says, don't make me show you my nipple rings or something like that. But it's good to see that that is going forward. So you can see that these governors and maybe maybe through this subpoena will show there was malintent or will show some kind of pre-thought. Um, we'll see what happens, but the point of the matter is it was a total mishandling you don't send sick patients into facilities that house individuals that are already in a compromised situation and that's exactly what they did instead of taking advantage of the naval military ship that was parked at their door all right this next article Border patrol agents arrest group of 11 Iranians who had illegally entered the U.S. This is from Just the News. Border patrol agents on Monday apprehended a group of 11 Iranians who unlawfully entered the U.S. The 11 Iranian nationals lobbied... Uh, a, a, Excuse me, the 11 Iranian nationals nabbed by Yuma Sector Border Patrol agents included five women and six men, according to a U.S. Customs and Border Protection press release. Yuma Sector agents have apprehended 14 Iranians during fiscal year 2021, which began about four months ago on October 1st, 2020. For the last two fiscal years, Yuma Sector Border Patrol agents have led the nation in apprehending illegal crossers from Iran. But the press release noted, Yuma Sector, eight, sector agents apprehended eight Iranian nationals in fiscal year 2020, compared to just 14 from all other Border Patrol sectors combined. So Border Patrol agents are catching these individuals um, you have to wonder why they're coming up through Arizona. What is the point of that? Um, all right, next story here. Just thought that was important because you see why it's important to have the wall down there is because you don't just have Mexican nationals coming up. You don't just have individuals who were, um, what do you call it? Uh, who were coming from Central America or South America? You have uh, you have people from other nationalities, even from the Middle East, who are coming up from the southern border. And you have to ask yourself why. 
This article is from the Epic Times, and it's written by Ivan Penchikov. Penchikov, I probably mispronounced that. Pompeo, Biden admin forgot about China nuclear threat when extending arms pact with Russia. Now we're talking about Lloyd Austin, a goon of Biden. Let's see what's going on with the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, another Biden goon. The article states, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken announced on February 3rd, February 3rd that the United States has extended New START, the last remaining nuclear weapons treaty with Russia for five years. Pompeo says... The mistake, I think, that was made there is that while I think weapon agreements are good, strategic weapons agreements are good things if they could be verified adequately. They forgot the most important new nuclear power. The Chinese Communist Party now holds weapon systems and is testing missiles at an alarming rate, Pompeo told Fox News' Maria Bartiromo. Our administration was working to bring Chinese inside the, this, arms const, this arms control structure. We were close to doing it at one point. Now the leverage to convince the Russians that they, they too need to work to bring the Chinese into the structure is all gone, Pompeo said. After the United States exited the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces, the INF, treaty with Russia in 2019, Pompeo called on Russia and China to join a multilateral arms control pact when President Trump announced his intentions to withdraw from the INF, he said he would open a new deal that includes Beijing. So they're leaving the pact with Russia, they're going to make another one that includes Russia and China. But uh, Secretary of State Blinken went ahead and scrubbed that. China has developed a vast arsenal of missiles which the United States and Russia could not develop or deploy under the INF, a strategic reality that concerned the Kremlin and the White House for years. One third to one half of China's ballistic missiles arsenal would violate the INF if Beijing was bound by the INF, according to a U.S. assessment. The United States attempted to bring China into the INF on at least three occasions, failing each time. The New START Treaty, which came into force in 2011, similarly limits... The deployed nuclear arsenal of the United States and Russia as China plays catch-up. The treaty caps the nation of deployed strategic nuclear warheads to 1550 and the number of deployed nuclear missiles and bombers to 700. The treaty also includes a verification regime that allows both nations to ensure mutual compliance through on-site inspections. Well... Good job, Anthony Blinken, new Secretary of State. We see that the Biden administration is truly messing things up and, again, giving the upper hand to the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. To this, we can all be thankful.
All right, and we'll close the uh, session for today's um, uh, today's C report with some news. It's a little bit old. I guess you could follow up on this, but some of you already know this. Some of you are already very much aware of this. The reason why I would like to include it in the C report for today is because I want to uh, document this momentous occasion and also proffer some food for thought. How many CEO resignations did we see in the last few years? And how many CEOs resigned for reasons that were a little bit less than honorable? We don't know why exactly this CEO is resigning, but we do know it's happening. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos to step down as CEO. This is from the Associated Press. Um, Jeff Bezos, who founded Amazon and turned the company into an online shopping behemoth, is stepping down as its CEO, a role he's had for nearly 30 years. He'll be replaced in the fall by Andy Jassy, who runs Amazon's cloud computing business. Bezos, 57, will then become the company's executive chair. So he's still going to be involved, but he's just not going to be the CEO. In a blog post to employees, Bezos said he plans to focus on new products and early initiatives being developed at Amazon, and he said he'll have more time for side projects. His space exploration company, Blue Origin, the newspaper he owns, The Washington Compost, and his charities. So he's going to be doing a lot more behind-the-scenes work. It doesn't sound like he's uh, stepping down as a CEO because he was, you know, I don't know, involved in, like, I don't know, a child trafficking ring and i'm not saying he is that's speculation but i'm saying maybe some ceos in the last few years that stepped down did step down for that reason okay anyway so we'll wrap it there thanks again for tuning in to the c report um we made it through our first successful week of c reports we'll see um joining us next week monday through friday um i'm kind of liking the idea of an a and b session we'll see what happens but otherwise make sure you tune in on wednesday and saturday for the q and a holes podcast with uh, your host mr w mr y and myself and on Thursdays, check out the Mr. C and Magadon show. And as always, Monday through Friday, the Q&A holes news break with Joe One of Two and the C Report will be coming at you. So stay tuned and stay there because we'll be right back. Join us at QAholespodcast.com and uh, tell us what you think and check out our blog. Till then, you guys have a great evening. We'll see you again soon for the second edition of the Sea Report that will be up later on tonight. Till then, have a great evening and enjoy your weekend. This is Mr. C signing out. Something is haunting the town. Adam Longoria has gone missing, and his sister claims she's been seeing a bad man in the shadows. Jesse Bachman confronts a terror that is haunting the town of Suval, but will he be able to stop a pure evil that wants him dead? 
Get the Chilling New Novella by Michael Aaron Cassidis, author of The Distance to the End. A Trick of the Eyes, a stunning new work of horror that is keeping readers turning the page. Get A Trick of the Eyes anywhere books are sold, online or in stores, ask for it by name. A Trick of the Eyes by Michael Aaron Cassidis.